Hello, everyone. Welcome to Seek Go Create. This is Tim Winters, your host, and I can't say that I'm coming to you live from our um, RV this time. I'm actually in a real house in Salt Lake City, kind of different and unique for me. So a little bit, uh, I'm actually in an Airbnb, in a bedroom in an Airbnb for those that might be watching in on this. A little bit different for me, different setup, but uh, I miss the RV. I know y'all do too, but that may mean that we've got some better quality and sound. So anyway, glad that you're here. Uh, Get to the guest in just a moment. We're going to be talking cryptocurrency. We're going to be talking uh, uh, the fun formula, just all kind of things with our guest today. But I did want to kind of add a little personal thing here that was kind of different. We are in Salt Lake City, and it's very unique for us to get our entire family together. We have two grown children. One's 30, one's 27. We have a grandchild now, and we are here in Salt Lake City. My wife and I and we are all together. So very, very fun to be here. And I know all of you that get together with families and all, you love that. And we rarely get to do it because we travel in our RV, our son does, our daughter travels a good bit. And so kind of having a family reunion here. So anyway, glad you're joining us on Seat Go Create today. Mm-mm-mm. I am looking forward to this conversation. We have Joel Com as our guest. Joel is the co-host of one of my favorite podcasts, which is the Bad Crypto Podcast. Yes, you heard the name right, Bad Crypto Podcast. He's also got another podcast. We'll get to that and talk, talk about that. He's also a New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, marketing strategist, live video expert, technologist, brand influencer, futurist, a lot of words here, and Here's my favorite, in his words, eternal 12-year-old. Joel, welcome to Seat Go Create. Thanks, man. That that left, If only I could say words, too. That last uh, line of the bio really sums it up better than any of the rest. It's because of that mm-hmm. mentality of uh, being playful and curious and experimenting and taking risks and, in some respect, being a 12-year-old. Um, adulting, but not growing up. That has led to all of those other things that are in my bio. If sure. I if I didn't have that mentality, I wouldn't be a successful author or speaker or an entrepreneur. So, and and I want to get to that because to me, that's a little bit of the anti mindset of a lot of what I call the hustle culture and even entrepreneurs and business culture. But I like to ask a question first, and you kind of addressed it a little bit, but. Uh, let's just assume, I know you're down in Puerto Rico now, we'll cover some of that in a little while, maybe talk about that, but let's just assume we bump into each other, we're out getting some polo or some something like that in Puerto Rico, and I ask you what you do. Joel, typically what do you tell people when they ask you, what do you do? <laughs> depends how serious they are, and it also depends how deep of a conversation I want to get into. Right. A, truly, I mean that because if I if I'm if I want to get into the conversation, I'll respond in a way that will cause people to go, "Huh, tell me more," or "What do you mean about that?" Um, so you know, in that case, uh, you know, I, I might be a little vague. But if somebody just asks me what I do uh, in general, I play for a living. You know, if I'm not interested, look, I just I have fun because it really I don't do a lot of these podcasts anymore. And it's not because I don't want to help and give back. It's because I've told my story so many times. You get sick of hearing the sound of your own voice. It really is. It's true. You know, it gets it gets repetitive. And I think that's one of the reasons that over my career now, 26 years doing business online, I've done so many things because I kind of, I I pioneer a new genre. And then when everybody else starts to come in, I've moved on to the next thing because I'm, I'm bored with that. You know, even as a live video marketer, I don't do, I stream to YouTube occasionally, but I don't even do Facebook live. I don't even do Facebook anymore. I am off of Facebook all year. I just, I want less and less to do with Mark Zuckerberg's a vision of the future. And so let others handle the live video marketing. I, I won't, I get asked to speak on it still. And I'm like, I, I don't do that anymore. Do you, do you think you ever get bored too soon and maybe leave something maybe before? I don't think it's about money, a big payoff or uh, I, I've asked myself that question before too, because I like to move on to other things. And I look back and I go, huh, what if I left that too soon? Ever have those things? No, never. Never. I, in fact, uh, sometimes I've hung around too long. If anything, I would say 
um, or I didn't know what I was going to do next and was getting uber bored with, uh, you know, with what I was doing. But I, I always do what I want to do. I always follow my curiosity to what interests me at that moment. So that means I'm always right on time. Yeah, perfect. And I think there's a certain degree of just being at peace with whatever it is at that time, correct? Yeah. What am I, what am I going to miss? Money? Uh, okay. I'll, I'll make money doing what I'm doing now, but you know, once you know how to make money, making money is not hard. There's a lot of people that it's like this, this golden calf that I don't know how to, how do I make money? And I'm not talking about desperation money, right? If, if you're a single mom or dad and, you know, you're working three jobs to put food on the table to take, put kid, you know, clothing on your kid's back. I understand that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you've got your essentials, you're not in panic mode. Um, bringing value to others is not a challenging thing to do. You just have to figure out how you bring the greatest value in a way that makes you feel fulfilled. Mm. And so, you know, if I miss out on something, it's like, oh, I missed that. But look what I'm doing instead that I'm enjoying. I never want to trade my my play that makes up the majority of what I do for work which, you know, even in play, there's some work to be done, right? I mean, it's mm -hmm. in some, and I don't always like that, but as long as the balance is heavier on the, I'm doing what I love to do, I've got to tolerate some of the work things that I'm yeah. good. Yeah. So you, you brought a number of words together right there that I had something that I wanted to ask about. And I think you kind of laid it up real easy for me. You talked about bringing value. You talked about play. I'm going to tie in a word celebrity. A lot of people are looking to gain celebrity hmm. and you really have gained some fame. And some of the things you talk about that you're most famous for is an app you developed. And, um, I, we, we do not have the explicit label on our podcast. I'm not sure if mentioning this word is going to mess with it. I don't even know what explicit. I don't, words are I don't anymore. think fart Will okay. All right. <laughs> That's not a curse word. But let's talk about let's talk about that that app and iFart. Yeah, the iFart app, which was one of the what two million downloads or number one in the app store. I don't store even know how many millions now. It was number one in the app store uh, four days after it came out, I believe, in yeah. uh, December of two thousand eight. <laughs> Um, and boy, did it create a stink and uh, literally <laughs> set the foundation for many puns, um, got me on The Daily Show with Jon Stewart, became a pop culture phenomenon and really created 200 additional fart apps, none of which had the success we had because people were trying to copy. That's not being an original. And uh, it still sells to this day. Not those oh crazy God. numbers, but every now and then a celebrity will mention it. You know, and it gets in the news again and we'll see it bump up into the top 100 entertainment apps. Like, how, how does that happen? It's 2021 right now. It came out in December 2008 and still gets downloaded every day. Crazy. So, so what can we learn from that? What are the learning points from that? Not just for Joel, but for people listening. Yeah. In. Well, don't take yourself so seriously, right? I mean, who who creates a fart app? What kind of self-respecting <laughs> entrepreneur? Somebody who doesn't care what other people think. It, you know, at that time, I had um, an office up in Loveland, Colorado, and I had a team. And it was largely men that were on my executive team. And I remember when uh, Steve Jobs said, we're going to have this app store and we want developers to create iPhone apps. We had one of the first thousand apps in the app store in July of 2008. I was called iVote. It's not alive still today. We, we let it go because of other things came out, uh, but we, uh, we were whiteboarding ideas, whiteboarded a whole list of ideas. And in fact, one of the ideas was before Foursquare, it was a Foursquare like geolocation, you know, mm -hmm. services app. Uh, we opted to go for iFart instead because we all just cracked up when one of the team members suggested a digital fart app. I turned to my developer. I said, how long would it take for you to create this? He said three weeks. And he was savvy with iOS stuff, Xcode. And then I turned to my designer. Can you have assets ready in three weeks? He said, yes, absolutely. I'm like, great. So we, we made the app. It was it didn't cost a whole lot. And it's and you're asking about it now in 2021. So clearly it uh, it paid off. 
So that's one of the lessons um, that I learned from it. Also, it um, it reinforced the importance of storytelling. Storytelling, the, the best marketers are really good storytellers and learn how to lean into um, owning what that story is. And you know, we got we actually were threatened uh, with a lawsuit from a competing fart app called Pull My Finger. Hmm. <laughs> we use the phrase pull my finger in the app and in some of our marketing. And being a savvy marketer, I linked the phrase pull my finger in a press release to our site. Well, they don't own the trademark. To the words pull my finger that nobody owns it it's a I was gonna say, is that yeah. trademarked can that be trademarked no uncle bob used to tell you all the time pull my finger right? right so um when we got that i called my lawyer i said they can't do this right he's like no no there's no case here i said well how do we do some storytelling and uh make a big deal about this and so we put a press release out and we filed with a federal judge basically to make them go away but we filed so that I could make a press release of it and do a story um, that there are these competing fart apps uh, and um, it got picked up all over the place. And even the, uh, the daily show got wind of it intended and um, uh, Wyatt Cenac, uh, one of John Stewart's uh, correspondents came out to Colorado and also to Florida to interview the other guy. And I'll tell you what, you know, when you're going to go on the daily show, you're going to get skewered, right? They are there to make you the butt of the jokes. But I'm bummed. And here's what's really amazing is they skewered the other guy. I mean, there were some laughs at my expense, but honestly, when you watch the piece and you could still go find it, if you just Google Joel Com Fart Daily Show, I'm sure it'll come up. Um, the other guy got skewered. And so what that did is it led to me doing an ignite talk. That's one of those five minute talks with 20 slides at auto forward every 30 seconds. I think it is math is hard. I can't remember. Yeah. And the name of my talk was how I farted and came out smelling like a rose. And so it's just a matter of leveraging, um, you know, what people are talking about and not being afraid uh, because what was What's the worst thing that could have happened? Well, it would have failed. Nobody would have paid attention. Okay. I've done plenty of things that nobody paid attention to. It's the having the willingness to keep trying things that, you know, ultimately pays off. You, you go up to the plate and you swing for the fences every time you babe Ruth that marketing campaign. And that means you're going to strike out a lot. Sometimes you get to first or second base, but boy, when you connect, it's out of the park. And uh, that's yeah. why I do what I do. It's great fun. Yeah. And I love that you say, you know, we're still talking about it. Not really. We're kind of digging it up. Let's move along. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about you, you. A few years back, you wrote this book, The Fun Formula, which mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me. I'm 57 years old. Me I'm, too. I'm. Oh well, here we could we could commiserate or we could whatever we could do whatever here. But I early part of my entrepreneur business career, I would have been one of these guys that believed hustle was what it was all about. Mm. I was really proud of how little I slept during the 90s. And it seems to me like that whole book is really an anti-hustle mantra. I mm-hmm. mean, you're just almost like sticking it to the hustle crowd. Would that be correct? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I'm sticking it to them. I just, I just want people to be aware that there are seasons in life where you really need to buckle down and do the work. You know, there's, there's those really important times. But as a lifestyle, the hustle and grind mentality is not sustainable and ultimately can be less rewarding than the fun lifestyle. Um, I've, I don't think of myself ever as hustling and grinding. I think of myself as playing because I'm doing what I like to do. And it doesn't mean I don't work plenty in the traditional definition of work. Uh, It just means that I don't want to burn out on what I'm doing. I want to make the right moves. I would much rather work smart than work hard. I want to do the right call with the right people at the right time. I want to take the right risks. And you don't always know what those are, but you develop an intuition for it after you've gone down. I mean, you know, we're both a little seasoned. This isn't our first rodeo and you kind of get a sense of how to do this. I think in your twenties, um, you know, that's a lot more difficult because you don't, you haven't experienced those challenges, but um, hustling it, the hustle is a dance 
and grinding is for coffee beans. That's that's the way I look at it. I think people yeah. can be way more prosperous by balancing their their play. And then you know, they say work life balance. Work is just part of your life. Play is just part of your life. This idea of balance. Um, I think we're designed to do some things really well. And when you know what it is that you do well, it doesn't feel like work. And then you're in balance. Hmm. Have you always been that way? Or was there something that evolved or changed or an event that kind of woke you up? I, I, I've had a few events that adjusted my thought process on that. But how about you? Were you like f- fun 12-year-old kid? Uh, so yes and um, I don't think it's absolute. I think, yes, I've always been curious and um, creative and exploring things. And I've never liked the idea of having a job. I had some very early, but I've always been entrepreneurial before I you know, had an internet business back in 1995, I had a mobile DJ business. So, you know, after working in the nightclubs and spinning records and doing radio, I realized I could have a lot more fun and make more money doing, you know, weddings and class reunions and bar mitzvahs and birthdays and pool parties and all that and making significantly more. So that was actually my first entrepreneurial venture. And uh, what was the question? (laughs) My 57 year old brain just went, I don't remember what he asked me. My 57-year-old brain says, what was I talking about? (laughs) Right. Uh, And isn't it amazing how frequent that gets? This is what you have to look forward to, kids. Were we still talking about the app? No, I think we've moved on from that, hadn't we? Oh, yeah, we've we've moved on from the app. We let that expire. People are watching us like, look at these two old guys forgetting (laughs) what their names are. It's okay. Your time is coming. It's okay. It's okay. We've got a lot more money than we used to, so we're doing real well. Um, No, I think I asked if there was any event or something that caused you to say, you know, I need need to adjust the way. You said, yeah, maybe. Um, I definitely learned some things along the way, right? Because our failures are our greatest teachers. You know, when you succeed, great, you succeed, you get the applause, you get the money and whatever, you know, you do with that. But when you fail, you've learned a way to not do something and you probably learned something about yourself, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So there was one time in particular that really is a great example of this. And it was around 2008 or so, Um, you know, everybody knows what email lists are. Uh, you know, with like Aweber and Constant Contact and, and um, right, these, uh, these email lists that people build. At that time, mobile marketing with lists was a new idea. And um, one, one of the people on my team, the guy who was running my company at the time says, let's build this platform that uh, people will be able to send messages via mobile marketing. Well, of course, it's very common now, but in 2008, it wasn't. Well, I spent a lot of money. It wasn't something I was tremendously excited about, but it looked like an interesting opportunity and we were doing well. So I'm like, yeah, let's throw some money at it. Spent a solid six figures on it and really two years of my life as part of what else we were doing, but I was never really passionate about it. And guess what? It never went anywhere. And then trying to get an investor never went anywhere. Trying to sell the technology when I realized it wasn't going to go anywhere, didn't go anywhere. And with these um, these mobile platforms, you know, you're paying a monthly fee to the carrier to keep things running. And it was still costing me a few thousand dollars a month. And I'm like, if I pull the plug on this, all of the software that's connected to it, it's gone. It's like, put it in the ground, it's dead. And that's hard to do, right? When you've invested a bunch in it. But one day I, um, I'd say, all right, pull the plug. That's it. It, it put a fork in her. She's dead, Jim. And, um, I thought I would experience this sense of failure and the exact opposite happened. It was like a weight was off my shoulders. And I realized something super important that I've taken with me ever since that, and this is this, I stopped failing the moment I stopped paying for it. That was it. Mm. It was done. I moved on. And so to this day, I don't go in unless I really want to be in. Mm. So what's cool about that, Joel, is that part of our tagline here is we talk about redefining success. And in many ways, we're trying to reshape all that because of some of our experiences. We've seen that common theme with every guest we've interviewed to me, tell me if I'm wrong, what you just what you just described was in some ways you kind of redefined how success was measured because I, I think had you been able to get the investment money, had you been able to scale that business up, it probably would have done well, but 
probably not that long. It seemed like it was destined to end somehow. We don't ever know. But was that kind of a redefined success moment for you? Um, well, it was more of a redefined focus hmm. moment for me. It's like I looked at it and go, well, why was I doing this in the first place? This is not the core of who I am or what I'm excited about. So why am I just for money? That's not a good enough reason. I mean, how much money do you actually need? Right. Stop and think about that for a second. Uh, anybody who's got this vision of I'm going to make a lot of dollar dollar bills so I can buy, a, you know, a Lamborghini or a big house and, you know, private jet or whatever it is they think they're going to get out. You know, here's a newsflash that brings moments of happiness, but it also comes with weight attached to it. The more you have, the more you have to keep track of. And um, I had the 6,000 square foot house. You know, um, I was married, two kids, I'm no longer married. And part of the reason, part of the reason is too much work, right? Mm -hmm. There's other reasons. There's always, it's always complicated and no two marriages are the same, but um, certainly didn't help that I wasn't focused on what I was supposed to be doing. And um, ever since that time, from 2011 forward, my life has been all about simplification and scaling back. And so, um, you know, moved to a, a two bedroom apartment, sold a ton of my stuff. And last year in, in every move since then has been scaling back and minimalist. And last year during uh, COVID lockdowns, I finally looked at all my collectibles that I've been carrying around from the starting from the time I was a little boy to present thousands of comic books, um, a vintage computer software collection with boxes and boxes of old computer games, Star Wars cards, baseball cards, all of this stuff. And I turned to my kids, I say, you guys going to want any of this when I'm dead and gone? They're like, no, they'll just sell it. I'm like, well, screw it. I'll just sell it now. And so I was super productive during lockdown. I went on eBay did hundreds of auctions and, and the amount of money I made, it, it wasn't insignificant, but I could have spent that same time. I could have donated all that stuff um, and spent that same time making more than I sold those items for. But there was something about closing that loop that felt very satisfying. I spent my life collecting these things and now I'm closing the loop and I'm selling them. And so when I moved to Puerto Rico, I came so light uh, and it feels wonderful to not have all of this stuff, Tim. It's just, I have enough. You know, I got a condo here in Puerto Rico and it's, you know, like two bedrooms and an office and it's nice and it's simple and and I love it. And I never, I've got friends here um, that have some beautiful mansions and I love going over to their place and, see, you know, hanging out there, but I don't want one for myself. You know, because they'll be like, yeah, you got to take care of the grass and something's always breaking and you don't have to shovel snow, though. That's different from growing up in the Midwest. And, and uh, you know, I've got friends with boats. I don't want to own a boat. I just want friends with boats. And we just went on a boat with a friend this last weekend. And it's like, I come, I sail, I, I come home with a tan. It's good. <laughs> yeah. That, what's so beautiful about that, Joel, is there's so many interesting parallels because in 08 we had multiple companies lived in a 6,000 square foot home a few years later they were all real estate by the way so you know kind of how that story goes now my wife and I we live in a 39 foot RV and everything we own except for a couple things they're in that RV that's it and we travel around we're light and it, it it's hard to describe to people and you tried to do it but it, I'm not sure that people get how liberating it is to just be light with stuff. And what's interesting, I'm going to ask you this question. You're a marketing guy. I do marketing. We actually try to sell people stuff. So is there any conundrum there or conflict with we try to sell people stuff, but yet we also don't want much stuff? Uh, help well, help I, unpack I believe, that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, people, people, people. People want to buy what they want to buy. I mean, they're not going to be in the same place that I am. I buy stuff still. I, you know, I, I get marketed to and I see something I like and, and I buy it. I went to Best Buy last night. I picked up a couple of gadgets that I thought were cool. So uh, I'm not going to discriminate against, you know, those who want to buy or those who don't want to buy things. 
Um, but I'll tell you, it being in the blockchain space now and creating and selling NFTs, they don't take up any space. Yeah, it's great. So now, you know, we're not cluttering people's lives. Yeah, you don't have to have a wad of cash with all your money and all those collectibles, because I think that's a great transition to where you're at now. And that is uh, you are somewhat I don't I don't know if evangelist is the right word that I look at it, but you and, uh, you know, with your partner, Travis, y'all are sharing. I call it the. uh, the information the masses need on blockchain, crypto, uh, those type things. And so let's kind of ease over into that. And I think the first thing I'd like to ask, because I think it ties into the fund formula, because I was in a similar situation back in 2017, where I was just kind of like chilling out and something told me that I needed to learn more about this blockchain. And the only way to do it was to participate. And uh, same year I started, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, um, and and I bought a few things, and you know, people can kind of guess what went what went on with that. But all of that just opened, started open my eyes, and I just approached it in a very, to go back to your book, fun way. It's kind of like this new thing. I hope it really, really works. But if it doesn't, yeah whatever. What you was learned. your mind? Yeah. What was your mindset? How did you get involved? And then we'll kind of bring, we'll come up to current history and talk about all the things you're working on now, but I'd, I'd love to know how you got started in yeah, uh, so that world. I remember hearing about Bitcoin really early on. I want to say 2012, 2013, because you know, you always, when you're in tech, you hear about stuff, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, and this is really unusual for me, for whatever reason, I ignored it. And, and I didn't understand it. I didn't understand this idea of mining this digital currency. Is this, are there little people inside my computer with tiny little axes? I just, I didn't get it. And I didn't dive into follow. And I was consumed with other things in my life. And it wasn't until late 2016, early 2017, that talking with friends finally made me go, understand this pay attention to this. And I did. And when I understood it, it felt like 1995 all over again, because that was the year. It was uh, January 1995. I went to the Consumer Electronics Show in Vegas, and I had already been doing software reviews um, and and distributing them on floppy disk and as shareware on bulletin board systems, because I've been dialing in before we had the web. And I learned about the web. And I thought, oh, wow, I want to build websites. Well, when I discovered actually what Bitcoin was and what cryptocurrency was, I was like, holy cow, this is just like that. Because I knew when the web was coming out that this was the future. And I remember the naysayers coming out of the woodwork. We don't need the Internet. People will never shop online. You know who you are. You know who you are. You, you, it was foolish. You were wrong. And it's okay. Don't repeat history by saying crypto's just a fad or it's tulips or it's not backed by anything because you'd be wrong again. And that would be funny and a tragedy. Um, so I knew at that time, this is revolutionary. This is going to change the world. And so uh, Travis had knew a little bit more about it and had been talking to me about it. And our conversations went to crypto almost on a daily basis. I bought my first uh, piece of Bitcoin in May 2017. And um, in July, because we were talking so often about this stuff, what do you think of this Ethereum? And what do you think of Ant shares? Travis sent me a message and he said, when are we going to start the Joel and TW crypto show? And he kind of put a winky face with it, like, you know, just joking about doing a podcast. But the moment he said it, I, I said, it just hit me. It landed. I mean, dude, I'm calling you right now. And I called him and I said, let's do the show. We, we know how to do podcasts. We're both professional broadcasters. We know all the technical stuff. We know how to edit. We know how to market. Let's just talk about this stuff the way we talk about it between you and I. We're not experts. We're not financial advisors. Let's just go on this journey, but make it public. And there weren't really shows like that at the time. All the shows they were talking with serious blockchain 
you know, people and they were high minded and it was above our pay grade. So uh, I was inspired by a show called the bad Christian podcast because as a bunch of his pastor and a couple guys from a Christian rock band and, and they weren't afraid to ask the hard questions of the faith and they weren't afraid to curse on the show. And I thought, you know what? crypto's good, but we're bad. We're going to do a lot of bad dad jokes and there's going to be fart jokes and who knows what's going to happen. And nobody should take us seriously, but take our guests seriously. And we started the bad crypto podcast and the thing took off. Couldn't have ever seen it coming and hitting like it did. But here we are, um, you know, more than four years later, hundreds of episodes, over 600 episodes. We've got a second show called The Nifty Show, which was the first NFT podcast. And we've minted over a million NFTs of our own original IP to our customers. And we uh, we advise a number of companies um, and we're just having a blast. I mean, if ever this is the 12 year oldish version of being the eternal 12 year old that I've been as an adult, I'm just having fun. So, so you are, we brought this up earlier, so I'm going to ask this here. Um, you talk about getting bored with anything. Mm-hmm. Have you had any boredom creep in with doing almost five years of shows, 600 episodes? Because that could happen. Y'all are doing what, a good two plus episodes a week? Um, yeah. Yeah, I've had moments of, of being bored. Um, being a little burnt out and stepping back and saying, you know what, I'm bored with the news right now. There's nothing exciting. Let's not do the news show this week. Let's do an interview, you know, um, let's, let, let's, let's, or let's skip a show, right? I need the day off. It happens. I mean, sometimes it does feel like work. Sometimes I feel overwhelmed and it's usually my own doing. I, uh, I do, I take on so much. I get these big eyes. It's like going to the buffet at the Venetian. Like, look at all the food. And you get this plate and you stuff it in so fast. Your body doesn't have time to digest. And then you get up and get more. And then you go to the dessert buffet. Um, So it's kind of like that sometimes because I just want to play. And and I see like these projects. And even today we had two calls with with others that, uh, you know, we might end up doing a project with. And I'm thinking, do I have time for this? Do I have the energy for this? I'm damn it. I'll make time because this is fun. I want to do this and I want to work with this person or I want to work with this brand. And I really do need an assistant. <laughs> do you have a trigger that goes off when you've uh, said yes too many times? Do you have something that kind of goes, Ooh, okay. I've crossed over from fun 12 year old Joel to adult working on too many projects. I need to adjust some things or you just wake up and go, wow, okay, there's too much going on. We need to clear the decks. How does that well, work I know, I know when I, first of all, there's no clearing the deck because yeah. I'm, I'm in deep. Um, but it's when I'm feeling it, when I'm feeling the pressure and I'll get irritable and like, I got too much responsibility. I need some help. How did this happen? Uh, and, then, and then I go blow some steam. I play a lot. Like I, it may, it's, it may look like I'm working all the time. Um, today is just about as busy as it's any day I've ever had. I mean, I've had, this is my sixth call or fifth call for the day. I've got two more advisory or um, investigatory calls on potential deals. And then I'm doing a live show. We do our nifty show live. So eight things in a day that happens once, you know, every six months or so. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually, you know, like tomorrow, I don't think I got anything. This weekend, you got nothing. I'm going to socialize. And if I want to take a Wednesday off, I take a Wednesday off. There, there are no business hours, right? It's every day. I have a shirt that says every day is Saturday. Mm-hmm. Sometimes yeah, I forget yeah. what day it is. I, re- I, like, I don't know. I sleep in. Um, I don't take any appointments before 10 a.m. Very rarely do I. And um, I stay up late. I play games. I've always been. That's why I got into building a website in the first place. I've always been an avid computer gamer. And at 57, that doesn't change. I'll get in front of my computer and shoot things and blow stuff up and solve puzzles or sit down with my iPad and play Brawl Stars. I'm addicted to the damn thing. Um, I'm 12. 12 in a 57-year-old body or 50-ish, right? Um, How how does the uh, Puerto Rico living on an island feed into that? Does that help it? help that mindset? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Um, I think that, you know, being here where it's beautiful out and I, I, I all I got to do is step out on my 
um, terrace and there's the beach right there. And I can listen to sounds. I love going out at night and sitting out there because we're on the east side of the island. And that means you get the trade winds and they come blowing through and it's just absolutely delicious. Um, so I think being here is better for me than it was being in Denver. Um, and I lived in you know Denver for years. I, my, the community of people that are like-minded here, that are entrepreneurial, that are doers, um, that are successful, that um, they put their egos at the door. You know, it's uh, it's it's my community here is bigger than it was after living in Denver for years, and I've only been here since April. Yeah, and so I don't think I could avoid this question, so I'm going to ask this. Cryptocurrency, blockchain, a lot of people that are really, I'll say, hoping that it works are people that would be, I don't try to, let's say anti-big government might be the best way of saying that. So I think one question before we get into just a little bit of for the person that doesn't know a lot about crypto and all, we might finish up with that here in the last few minutes. Let's go macro. Let's go big picture. And I'd like to know what Joel's thoughts are about what is really, what what might we see from crypto? You know, there's so many people, the maximalist out there that think Bitcoin, they compare it to Jesus and biblical times. Uh, that that gets a little bit weird from my standpoint, but what what is going on? Are we seeing something that really could bust up some of the control of the fed and federal governments are we well, seeing it is it already it, is they're okay. terrified they're terrified so, tell us about uh, tell us what you're seeing and maybe what you're seeing in the not too distant future from where you sit some someone who's moved to a location that has the lowest federal tax rate that uh, mm -hmm. that is imaginable well, there is no federal tax right here because there's right. no taxation without representation and puerto rico is a territory not a state so you just you pay uh, as long as you're a resident here. You just pay four percent to the island. That's your that's your income tax. Um, look, fiat currency is not real. Fiat currency is paper money. The money that you know we have been um, spending ever since uh, Brenton Woods, which happened in uh, 1973, I believe. Richard Nixon, President Nixon, took us off the gold standard, where every dollar was backed by precious metals now if you look at your you know your money it's backed by the faith of the u.s government uh, and all fiat currencies are backed by the faith of their governments well that works out really well until you have no faith in your government uh, it wasn't very long ago that venezuela was the most prosperous nation in south america and today the people there are starving and struggling because they've implemented socialism and because of hyperinflation I mean, we're not just talking 100% inflation. We're talking tens of thousands of percent inflation where their boulevard is truly toilet paper. It's worthless, stacks of it to get a loaf of bread. Horrible. And so all fiat currencies are doomed. There has never been one that has survived. And if you look at the value of our dollar over time, it just goes down. A dollar today doesn't buy what a dollar 10 years ago bought and definitely not what a dollar 50 years ago bought. It just goes down. Okay. And our economy is, is on very thin ice and globally, there are nations that are suffering, um, you know, in whatever countries they're living in just to, to stay alive. Well, cryptocurrency is the great equalizer because it takes the power away from the governments and gives it to the people says, wait a second, we don't need to depend upon your failed currency that keeps us enslaved to your system that we didn't opt into. We with our computers and our technology have the ability to create a currency that is actually backed by something more than faith of a government that actually has no interest in helping its people. It's backed by computing power. It's backed by code. It's unhackable, all right? Bitcoin, the Bitcoin blockchain has never been hacked. And there's a finite amount. What happens when the government tries to balance out um, economic hard times? They print more money. They just keep printing it. Imagine that. And have you ever asked yourself this question? If the government could just print trillions of dollars, why do we pay taxes? Really good question. Ponder on that for a little bit. So if they can just print more money with cryptocurrency, 
not possible. With Bitcoin, there's only 21 million of them ever. They can't make more. They can make other currencies can be made, but there's only 21 million Bitcoin, period. And you can buy fractional amounts down to uh, eight decimal points of Bitcoin. The value has gone from nothing to about $47,000 as of this interview. I think 62,000 was the highest. Financial institutions and governments, big corporations are all paying attention now and some are investing deep because they see the writing on the wall. Now, I'm not a financial advisor and I'm not giving financial advice, but decentralized money that no central location, no government, no bank has the power over is way more empowering for the people than any centralized currencies. And that's why crypto is here to stay. There will be governments that fight it. There will be those that try to ban it. You know, China's banned mining. Of course they do because they're China. They're, they don't care about their people. They care about the power uh, that they have over those people. And when you see people trying to regulate others out of business, they're doing it to, to get power. They're scared and, and they should be. Yeah, some people will say, uh, well, the government's just going to outlaw or make it illegal, similar to what China does. I I look at this as it's such a decentralized, and I, I don't even know if people really comprehend what decentralized means. I don't know that I do. I'm an engineer. I try to, but we're talking about this is something that is kind of beyond the scope or the hands of government, in my opinion. Is that a correct statement or incorrect? Say it again. I want to make sure I. It's kind of. It's nothing. It's beyond the government shutting anything down now. You can't. Well, they'd they'd have to. They'd have to pull the plug on the entire internet. And guess what happens if you do that? Then you've really got angry people. You know, if they actually said no, you can't communicate, and they shut down the cell towers and the internet. You got bigger problems than how you're going to balance your currency. Uh, I think we're beyond the point of no return in the Western world to overregulate it uh, because now we have uh, major financial institutions that are involved and it would impact them. And all you got to do is follow the money. So the financial institutions are learning how to play the game because it could be more profitable for them. And, but the banking system that opposes it is it's the it's one of the final gasps of a dying financial system that is designed to profit the elite and doesn't give a rat's ass about the regular person. I'm talking about all the banks. I'm talking about mm-hmm. Chase and Citibank and Bank of America, uh, any of them who you put your money in the bank and they don't pay you any interest and they use your money. And then they have the nerve to charge you a fee. They charge you 15 or $50 to send a wire transfer that takes a whole day. I can send you that same amount in Bitcoin without that middleman. And it costs me a fraction, Hmm. a buck to send you that same amount of money. And you have it in 10 minutes. Some cryptos are instant. I can send you wax or stellar lumens and you'll have it in one second instant transactions. Now imagine that you're in one of those third world countries, developing nations to be politically correct. And you, you, maybe you're living in the Western world and maybe you're driving for Uber and you want to send money back to your family. Well, how do you do that to a bank if they're going to charge you fees and rob you to send money back? But if you've got crypto and your family has a wallet, that can get crypto, bing, bang, boom, done. Empowering to people. And crypto, yeah. I'm telling you, it's it's world changing. So there's a lot of people, maybe this will help some that are listening in. They're still eyes glaze over, roll to the back of their heads when we start talking about this stuff. So what, and listen, I'm not really in the business of trying to convince anybody of anything. Maybe I do at times, maybe I don't, but Anyway, that's too much energy and effort. But let's just say someone's listening in and they go, I don't even know where to start. I don't even know what to do. You know, I remember in 2017, sitting around the table trying to figure out, and I'm an engineer from Georgia Tech, think I'm sort of smart, but not really. Trying to figure out how to buy some of this stuff Mm -hmm. was not super user-friendly. It's much better now. But so what do you do if you've got a friend, a family member, or maybe your grandma or somebody comes and says, hey, I'm kind of interested, but what do I do? How do I get involved 
other than listening to the Bad Crypto Podcast? What what do I do to get involved? Well, first of all, you know, it's your money. And so do your own research. There's so much content out there. There's great publications like Cointelegraph and Coindesk.com. There's other podcasts besides ours. And if you go to YouTube, uh, which is centralized crap from the top down, but at least you can find some good content there. If you try, there's so many videos put out by people just trying to educate, go to YouTube and type, what is Bitcoin? What is Ethereum? What are NFTs? And watch videos, educate yourself, become knowledgeable. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, we'll just go to this exchange and go buy this. Anybody who's doing that is trying to sell you something and you need to use critical thinking and and learn, inform yourself. That said, there are very simple ways to onboard into crypto now. You can go to crypto.com, download the wallet on your phone. You can get an eToro account. You can go to Coinbase um, and get an account. There's so many places that you can buy crypto right now with your credit card. Um, and so however you do it, I'm just imploring people to learn and understand what it is they're doing, because then you're going to make better decisions and better choices. I have people all the time now popping up from my past and my present um, asking me, well, should I buy this or should I buy that? I, I say, I don't know. Should you? I won't tell you what to buy. I don't care if I think it's going to go to the moon and multiply. You've got to do your decisions. Now, I'll tell you, if I bought some, and that's the decision I made, but don't buy something just because I bought it, because I've made some bad choices too. And I don't want you to be the one to blame me. So we never give financial advice, ever. Yeah, yeah. And I I do agree. Just, man, take some steps. I, I think one of the big challenges there is that many people just want somebody else to tell them what to do. And this is not really that type of situation. I think that can cause challenges, but uh, let's one, a couple quick things here before we wrap up Uh, your other show, the nifty show NFTs, anybody listening to this in 2021, if they have not heard of NFTs, I don't, I don't know what to say to them because it's been a buzzword. They were really hot, got quieter. Uh, My son, who also is the engineer, edits our podcast. He'll be listening in. He's an artist. He just minted his first one recently. And he said, oh, you're talking to Joel. Ask him some things I could do. We may talk about that. But explain to people what the NFTs are, just Mm -hmm. as as basic as we can. And then we may ask a couple quick things before we wrap up here, sure. but let, let's address that. And, and because y'all go deep into that on y'all show, y'all are, I right. actually uh, enjoy that, but I enjoy the bad crypto more because it's bigger picture to me, not as niche down mm-hmm. to the NFT. So tell us sure. what, what is, what NFTs are. Well, an NFT stands for non-fungible token. Uh, sounds like a, a lot of words, but it's really simple. Something that's fungible, they're all the same. So if I say to you, Tim, can I have a dollar? You're not going to go into your wallet with a stack of dollar bills and go, which one? Because they're all the same. It doesn't matter. One dollar is a dollar. They're all treated the same. However, um, if I say, hey, Tim, um, I'm going to buy a house in your neighborhood and you can say, oh, don't do that. That's too close. Now you could say, which one? I'm going to point to the exact house. Okay, so it is unique. You know that house has an address, which you can kind of think of as a serial number. Now, when you think of non-fungible tokens, you're talking about an item that is on the blockchain that is unlike any other in that it has its own distinct serial number. Uh, We can kind of look at it as a certificate of authenticity, really the ultimate certificate of authenticity. So, you know, back in the day, we bought baseball cards as kids. And if you got a Reggie Jackson card, guess what? You're not the only person who got a Reggie Jackson card. And you don't know how many Reggie Jackson cards were, you know, printed by Tops in 1975. You just know you got one. And if you are fortunate, um, unlike me, your mom didn't throw out a whole bag of them when you were at school. It's okay, mom, I forgive you. I just like to use the example. Uh, Or your card might not get weathered. You know, it might get weathered over time, might have water damage, might have fire or smoke damage, any number of things can happen. And only the cards that are in a really great condition are still valuable. Comic books, same thing with non-fungible tokens, NFTs, they're on blockchain. They can't be damaged. They're always 100% 
the same. And you can completely track the, um, the provenance, the ownership of every item because the blockchain is public. You can see, oh, this person bought it. Then they transferred it from this wallet to that person's wallet. That person sold it. Now it's in their wallet. You know who owns it. And so think of NFTs as programmable media. They can contain anything. They can contain data. It could be a document. It could be a PDF. It could be your driver's license one day and will be, or your insurance card. It will be. It could be your home deed or your vehicle title. Or for right now, maybe they're just digital collectibles. Maybe they're trading cards. They could have music. They could have animations. They could have uh, film, video attached to them. They could evolve over time. And as blockchain continues to grow and the technology expands, we're finding that there's no end in sight to the types of creative solutions that people are going to come up with. Do not sleep on what's happening with NFTs, folks. Do not dismiss them as tulips or beanie babies. They are not. They are here to stay. In fact, Sotheby's, one of the two big auction houses, them and Christie's, just sold, you may have heard of the Bored Ape um, Yacht Club. They sold a, a set of 100 of them for, I want to say, um, two, let me, actually, somebody just sent it to me. I want to say $25 million mm-hmm. for, the, uh, for the entire set. I should fact check myself here before I uh, give something absolute. But I'm pretty sure that was, can't remember exactly where I saw it, but they went for a lot of money. And, yeah. um, and, and they're here to stay. These collectibles, the, one of the beautiful things is anybody can mint NFTs. Now it comes down to how do you bring value through them and how do you market them? Can you create a community around them? Can they create value, right? NFTs can be related. I, I've, I've purchased NFTs that come with a real world physical item because you bought this, you're entitled to this thing or you're entitled to this experience. Gary V just did this with a set called V Friends that sold out. Everybody who bought one of his V Friends, which are nothing more than a doodle he did of different animals. Really clever though and really nicely done um, considering that he just drew these as doodles. Um, Everybody who owns one of these NFTs gets three years entry into VCon. Some of those NFTs get you 15 minute FaceTime with Gary. Some of them get you a shopping experience with Gary or a wine tasting. There's all these different experiences that can be connected to these NFTs, which is why in the not too distant future, your concert ticket won't be a piece of paper or even um, you know, an, a, an access digital QR code. It'll be an NFT that you hold that says, here is my proof that this is legitimate. Imagine how that overcomes fraud. You can't, you can't get away with a fraudulent ticket on blockchain if they are checking them accurately, right? People try to pass off fraudulent stuff all the time, but all they got to do is validate and they can see what's real and what's not. You can't necessarily do that with a paper ticket. Is this going to help artists, creators, people, photographers, all these people? It's, it seems like it should help them, Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's providing them with an, you know, an avenue, just like the web um, democratized people being able to sell products anywhere in the world. NFTs are giving artists a, a whole new you know, uh, opportunity here to create, put it out in front of people. And if people like it, they'll buy it. Hmm. That's good. Hey, Joel, anything bug you or concern you about this marketplace that you're seeing? I mean, there's there's a lot going on. I look at, I, I hate to say at times I look at my portfolio more than I should. <laughs> and, you know, it'll be up and down and all of that. But is there anything that kind of bugs you or concerns you? This is almost last question, just a couple of quick ones, but anything that kind of bugs you about what we're seeing going on? Yeah, the government's governments not knowing what they're doing. I mean, we have some truly clueless people at the government agencies that are trying to figure this out from the SEC to the IRS and CFTC. They don't understand what's going on. And we here in America are some of the most regulated people in the land of the free and the home of the brave. It is harder for Americans to buy crypto at some at some exchanges and to get some of the coins they want to get than it is for people in all other parts of the world. 
and that's be in the in the guise of protecting investors they're not protecting investors they're protecting their own interests their own cronies they're protecting big pharma and, and other corporations that are you know trying to dip their hand in the pool don't be fooled if you know like when you've lived long enough you see the patterns and they repeat and uh, again and again and so um, i think the most annoying thing is how the governments of the world who are totally clueless about this um, are trying to hold on with their nails clawed into this old system and not let something die that needs to die yeah i i think that would be what i would say too i mean i and I start salivating, really hoping that some of this really dies quickly. I don't think it dies that quickly, but I really hope that some of this government control would. But anyway, we'll see what plays out there. Hey, Joel, I, a couple quick things, and then we'll wrap up here. Um, we've already mentioned the Bad Crypto Podcast, the Nifty Show. Is there any place else that you want people to connect with you, or is that where we want to send people that just want more information? Or well, depending on what you want, follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's also it's a cesspool, but I try to talk <laughs> NFTs most of the time these days. Uh, you know, the mainstream social media also uh, is just such in in such disrepair, such horrible disrepair. Have you so been shut biased. down? Have you been shut down yet? Um, oh, yeah, I've been shut down and let back in. In fact, one of the reasons Bad Crypto doesn't have, uh, I think, more than 10,000 followers on YouTube is because for a year and a half early on, they shut us down and we appealed and they said, you can't appeal. And then a year and a half later, all of a sudden, oh, we made a mistake. Yeah, screw you, Google. Google is pure evil. Facebook that you might be watching on this right now, pure evil. And here's the deal. I was a social media evangelist. I was on the front lines of social media. I was on MySpace. I wrote the book on Twitter, literally three editions of Twitter power, which I believe may be the top selling book on Twitter for business, either that or the second most popular business book. Mm -hmm. I was all in, I was all in on Facebook live. Um, these people do not have your best interests at heart. We are cattle to them. We are, um, we are a commodity for them to make money on us, for them to invade our privacy so they can sell us more toothpaste and toilet paper, just like our mainstream media does. That's why they are there, not to inform you, not to entertain you, to, to use you. Sorry mm -hmm. to say if, uh, if you haven't gotten this yet, but just wake up. It, it's a it's a new era. More and more people in the world are waking up to the reality of how the world operates. And in spite of the indoctrination that they have laid upon us, you can be a critical thinker and look at what's going on in the world and ask yourself, is this really a thing? Do I need? And that's what I've conditioned myself to do now, Tim. I hear a story. I don't care what that story is. I look at it and I go, OK, is that really true? Is there some truth to it? Do I care enough to dig to see if it's true or not? And if I do dig, I always find out that there is bias, that there is slant, that there is agenda in everything being written about and everything being broadcast. And that's why those in the, the world of crypto are a little more, um, I don't want to say woke because that phrase gets used wrongly wrong yeah wrong 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 way of using that but that's okay <laughs> but awake let's let's yeah. say awake mm -hmm. um as to how broken the world systems are and how promising um empowering people can be is there any solutions this is uh sorry i know we need to jump off here but any solutions blockchain for what has fed people from these social channels and communication channels uh, I, I've heard some rumblings of some, but there are some possibilities that the yeah. blockchain could bust some of that up too, correct? Yeah, there's, I mean, we're in the very early phases of some initiatives for decentralized video. For example, you know, YouTube can take anybody's channel offline. They don't have to explain anything to you, nothing. Uh, but you can use a service like Odyssey, um, O-D-Y-S-E-E, -E, I believe. It used to be called library.tv, L-B-R-Y.tv. It's decentralized video. Once you've uploaded a video to library, it can't be taken down because it doesn't just live in one central location. There are copies of it all over the network around the world. 
that you can't be conspired against to have your content removed. You can't be canceled. And I think when you see um, social media platforms deplatforming people, canceling under the guise of this is dangerous, we're going to protect others, what you've got are fearful children running the show. Fearful children that are afraid of others thinking for themselves. And this is what we have. Uh, the executives at, at Google, the powers that be, the executives at Facebook, at Twitter, they are scared that they aren't going to be able to control the narrative because there's people out there who think for themselves. You know if you're one of those people. And if, if you're feeling resistance to this right now internally, like I'm talking crazy, well, guess what? You might be trapped in their illusion. And I would encourage you to just stop and think, you know, is there a grain of truth to this? Yeah, what would happen if I discovered that what Joel was saying and Tim is nodding his head to is true? How would it impact me personally? How would it impact my worldview? How would it impact my relationships? How would, might it change what I'm doing, how I'm living, who I'm hanging out with? It's big, but change is difficult and confronting um, things that you thought were true that you discover you've been lied to or deceived. Nobody likes to admit that they've been taken. And I've been taken so many times in my life. It doesn't bother me <laughs> anymore. I don't care what the truth is. I just want to know what's true. Yeah. And, and one of the things I think that people should be irritated about is the thought that they're being manipulated or deceived. I, I was having a conversation yesterday with a buddy in New Zealand. We were on Zoom and we were talking about something and we got to the point where we said, hmm, we should probably not discuss this here. He's actually investor, does some venture capital and things. And, and we started saying, what are we gonna do to communicate when we get to the place that maybe they don't allow us to communicate? And that's a reality, correct? <laughs> yeah, there, there's other places that, that, you know, people go. And of course, those places are always um, the, the mainstream social media in media will immediately say, oh, those are places where hate speech lives. Of course, they're going to say that because they want to scare people into being on stay in our protection here. We're going to give you the truth. We're going to fact check stuff. Guess what? Nobody fact checks the fact checkers, gang. And the fact checkers aren't checking the facts. Rude yeah. awakening right there, especially when you start to see the actual data. Um, it's easy to believe it, but it's uh, it's hard to accept something. We we totally went down a different rabbit hole. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we're, we're down a rabbit hole that could keep going. And <laughs> what a great time for them to re-release another version of The Matrix, which I just saw the preview to the Matrix movie coming out. We literally could be in a Matrix situation. Joel, I appreciate the conversation. So many things we could have talked. We kind of started going down a bit of a rabbit hole that I enjoy way too much. But we are seek go create. That's our title. Last question I'm going to ask you before I do a quick wrap is which one of those words jumps out at you right now more than the other two and why seek, go, or create? And that'll be my final question. Then I'll do a wrap. I have to choose one. I like them all. I, yeah. I, especially, I love seek because it indicates that you have a mind to go and find whatever it is you're looking for, right? If it's inner peace, if it's impacting others, if it's making money, if it's the truth about any issue of the day, whatever it is, you have to seek before you can find. Very rarely does it land in your lap. So I love that. Um, go doesn't inspire quite as much other than just go take action. Create though. Yeah, go make some stuff, go break some things, go figure out what doesn't work. And I, I like to think of myself as a, a kid with a pail and a shovel looking for a sandbox to build in. And that's the create part. And sometimes, you know, your, your sand is dry and it just falls flat. Sometimes it's got a little bit of water in there, but it doesn't take shape. And sometimes you build this amazing thing and then you keep building on it. You never know where it's going to be. But if you have this curiosity and this willingness to try and to fail, to have some sandcastles just collapse, uh, because it, that's how you learn. You're going to build some amazing stuff. Everybody listening to this has 
some sort of special talent and they're gifted in some unique way and yet they're trapped in a mindset of some people are trapped in this mindset of well i'm supposed to be doing this or i was told this is how you do this and i'm going to work myself to the bone because i want this quit banging your head against the door there's so much opportunity out there you, it, you don't have to be single-minded in how you approach getting where you want to go and that's all i'll say about that excellent thanks for the inspiring message there at the at the at the last end especially when we had gone off down another path earlier. Joel, thanks for uh, joining us. If you've listened in, have gotten anything from this, please share it on whatever platform you're listening on. And uh, until next time, new episodes every Monday, continue being all that you were created to be. Mm -hmm.